just feels appropriate to be drinking very strong alcoholic beverages. <laughs> I was going to say very fruity drinks, but I do like a fruity drink. You know what else is fruity? Soon to be a major motion podcast. The show you are listening to, hosted by me, Billy Beck. And me, Cody Beck. And this is a podcast where Cody reads a book and I watch the movie or movies based on the book and we talk about them. Uh Uh-huh. And hopefully this one doesn't go two and a half hours. (laughs) You know... And I was thinking, we're doing something lighter this week. I'm not going to have seven pages of notes. Guess how many pages of notes I have. Is it seven? It is seven pages of notes. (laughs) Well, we actually, uh, spoiler, behind the scenes, I had seen this particular movie a lot. One of the particular movies. What? You've seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory before? (laughs) I watched the shit out of that movie as a child. So I knew it apparently better than you did. So this is a different segment of the show you're trying to dive into. It is. I'm sorry. Before we get there, (laughs) let's do some admin here. (laughs) How have you been? I've been great, fun police. (laughs) Well, once we start going, we're just going to be going. I know us and I know what we want to talk about. (laughs) True. Uh... I have been good. Uh, I had to go back to the doctor, get my eye poked and prodded at again. Uh, just with a rusty scalpel. Just. <laughs> I have had more people touching my face and touching my eyeball and poking me and drawing my blood than I wanted to. <laughs> well, maybe you should have thought of that before you decided to lose vision in your eye. Yeah, it was definitely a conscious decision. I know. I know you. (laughs) Uh, On the fun side of things, I went to a really fun concert at a local venue, and I did it by myself. It was very fun. I'm sorry. I made you go alone. (laughs) No, it's genuinely, it was, I enjoyed it going by myself. I will have you know my mother yelled at me for making you go alone. (laughs) (laughs) She thought I was going to get murdered. She's like, it's a shame Cody couldn't find anyone to go with. (laughs) I... I would have had a panic attack meltdown cry fest in the back of that had I gone that night. That's where I was emotionally this week. So I did actually text a friend of mine and I was like, I know this is ridiculously last minute, but I have a ticket if you want to come. And this friend was like, sorry, I'm having a family emergency at the moment. Which I won't go into detail on the pod. Probably for the best. I'm not even going to ask which friend. Yes. Um, so I did try, but also it was fun. It's I haven't done something like that on my own before. Um, I, it was King Mala at the Echoplex. I highly recommend the Echoplex. It was a really fun little venue. Uh, it's like, I think it's maximum capacity is listed at like 700. There's no way you can get 700 people in there. Oh, you can. It just won't be comfortable. (laughs) Um, But like I showed up a little bit after doors and I still was able to get right up on the stage. I didn't even go like towards the, there were two openers. I went up partway through the second opener and still was like right off the stage. So yeah. And my dumbass when I go to concerts alone, (laughs) I think the second, third, third time 
I saw Five Iron Frenzy. Didn't you show up like eight hours early? I went alone and I was there, I think, for three or four hours before Doors. Because they had broken up ten years before and they had just come back. It was only their second show in Southern California. And I was like, I'm going to be there and I'm going to get there early. It was also way out in Pomona. I didn't know how to get there, how long it would take. Was this the Glass House? This is the Glass House, yeah. Which we saw them there together. We did. I love how you've seen them... As much as you have? <laughs> no. You've seen them more with me than I saw them before they broke up. Which is saying something. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I love that you just got there after doors and got basically where I was during that Five Iron show. Although, I am in that music video for you... Battle Dancing Unicorns with Glitter multiple times because of that. You sure are in that music video. <laughs> like, I'm so mad. Because I was still acting then. And I was still actively checking, like, listings. Never saw anything for that. I would have loved to have auditioned. <laughs> like, maybe I would have gotten into the show for free. You were... You're too handsome, though. They wanted to... Oh, yeah, they had, a, they had a dork-ass loser. You would have been the nerd... You would have been... You would have been the hot guy in the unicorn mask. I would have been, like, a hot guy laughing at the guy. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not ripped enough to have been the guy in the unicorn mask. Hot guy eight. Like, I would have been, like, in the background behind the cute girls going, who's loser? Were you were you in uh, a, a college humor video as like for, like, cuffing season? Yes. Yes, I was. <laughs> I'm in the background playing pool. Of course you are. I have, so, I have a fucking IMDB credit for that shit. With, um, what's her face? With um, Emily, Emily Axford. Axford. She was in that. I can't remember who else was in that. Siobhan? She might have been, yeah. Uh, but I had been watching College Humor since college. So like close to 10 years when I did this short for them. So I was like freaking out the whole time. Like, oh my God, it's Emily. Oh my God, it's Murph. Oh my God, like it's these people. I, I like watch on TV and I'm in the room with them just doing shit. It was, it was cool. It was a cool experience. Um, also, a, an acting gig a five-minute drive from where I lived at the time. It didn't... Oh, my God. Because I've done some shitty ones. Yeah. But that one... It's like, oh, five in the morning, but it's down the street? Sweet. <laughs> Why did they need to do it at 5 a.m.? It was, it was an active bar. Oh. They needed to be out of there by the time the bar opened. Mm, okay. So, I, <laughs> we got distracted talking about your acting career. We're going to tangent. It's fine. Um, But... How was your week? My week was good. Um, my three weeks since the last record. <laughs> I did recover from that hangover. Uh, Mark came to town the next weekend for my birthday. It was very nice to see him. That motherfucker got up at four in the goddamn morning after landing at 1130 at LAX the night before. Just so that he could join me to go to the bar to watch Man City draw Liverpool 1-1. We went out for Korean barbecue on my birthday. I'm not saying we have a favorite listener, but we might have a favorite listener. I don't know what you're talking about. We went to uh, Korean barbecue for dinner. We went to round one and did karaoke and played arcade games. And I had a very good time. It was a lot of fun. And then, uh, yeah, holiday season started at work. So uh, I've been... Trying not to kill myself actively <laughs> F since then. I made the fucking mistake of taking Cyber Monday off and got back to work with just a goddamn mess in front of me that took me three days to clean. 
Yay. And it's been nonstop since. It should slow. It should slow down this week because we're getting right up to the edge of how late you can ship something to get there by Christmas. So if you're listening to this and you haven't bought your Christmas gifts, too fucking late. Go to a fucking store. If you buy online, it ain't getting there in time. You know, I've been very bad at Christmas this year. I have not done anything. I did all of my shopping for you today. Wow. I don't even know what I'm buying you yet. That's fine. I don't mind a smaller Christmas this year. It's gonna be because a bitch is poor. If y'all want us to have a big Christmas, (laughs) my Venmo is... (laughs) Joseph Biden, student debt relief. Yeah, exactly. You want us to put money in the economy? Give me $417 a month back, motherfucker. Anywho. Speaking of capitalism and its not, evils. Oh, not well, kind of. But not yet. <laughs> we have a new segment this week. Oh, God. We have a listener mail segment this week. Oh, no. I forgot about the email. Okay. We opened an email account at... soon. No. SoonMajorPod at gmail.com. <laughs> You can find it on our link tree in the description to this episode. And feel free, if you want us to read your shit on it on the show, uh, send us a, an email or even send us an audio recording like one intrepid listener did. No. Hi, my name is Larry Gompers from Greenbow, Alabama. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and I'm a big fan. I read all the Hunger Games books and watched all the Hunger Games movies, and y'all's discussion's been real insightful. But there's just one question I don't understand. I hope y'all can shed some light on the situation. If them games are so hungry, why don't they eat a sandwich or something? I find when I get hungry, I got to eat a sandwich. Then I don't feel so hungry. Hope y'all can explain that. Okay, thanks, love you, bye-bye. Mark, you are no longer our favorite listener. That's, what are you talking about? That was Larry, Larry Gumpers from Greenbow, Alabama. And he asked a very important question. Why didn't the Hunger Games eat a sandwich? I want a divorce from both of you. I want to go back in time 12 years and never meet either of you. Too fucking bad. You're stuck with me now. I hate you so much. So you don't have an answer to his question? No. I figured there might be something in the books that explains it. Because, I mean, Pete is there with his bread. And... I'm trying to think of about a joke about how Gale's a piece of shit and you can make a shit sandwich. Is that a joke? <laughs> I kind of I kind of set myself up with no punchline in, in mind. There's no punchline in the books either. Speaking of punchlines... I mean... I am currently embroiled in a Twitter feud with people that are arguing with me about sex work in the books. Not Twitter, TikTok. In sex work in Willy Wonka? No! Oh, in Hunger Games. Hunger Games! Hunger Games! I was trying to segue and you drew me right back in. I did. Oh, Lord. Oh. But TikTok children aside, yeah, so what, what book slash movie are we... The... Children's literary masterpiece from well-regarded author Roald Dahl, I had to read. I feel as though some of those words are not accurate. Was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Now, you hinted at this earlier, Cody. 
Yeah. What was your introduction to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory? So, I was always a Matilda girl. That was my introduction to Roald Dahl. However, I have old parents, uh, so they didn't necessarily want me to just have uh, all of the new stuff. Um, I also have three older siblings that are more than 10 years older, so I also kind of inherited their childhood collection of things. So one of the movies that I used to watch all the time was the 1977? 71. 71, damn. I know, right? The 1971 uh, Gene Wilder masterpiece, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I don't know why. I didn't even particularly like it. It was probably the autism. Uh, I just watched the shit out of this movie as a child. I had a very similar... Oh, sorry. Uh, I oh. did not... This is my first time reading the book. Oh, yeah, 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 I had never read the book before. And what about the 2005 movie? I had never seen the 2005 movie. You'd never seen it? I had never seen it. Okay. So, similarly to you, I was a, Mat- I was a Matilda bitch. It's the autism. Well, it was 1996. My So, at the time for... You know, no, I'll save that for when we do Matilda. <laughs> Willy Wonka... The 71 film, I always kept in the same folder in my mind as The Wizard of Oz. Because they were classic movies. I didn't understand that there was a 40-year difference between them. Because they were both old to me, right? So they were old live-action movies with people I assumed were dead. That we didn't have on VHS. I had no concept of time, Cody. I didn't realize Gene Wilder was still alive. Or, you know, 80% of the children. I also had VHS. So, (laughs) but anyway, we didn't have that one on VHS. So I would only watch it, like, if I went to my cousin's house and it would be on TV or something like that. So I had seen it maybe three or four times, the original one, but never in full in one sitting without commercials or without distractions or Anything like that. So I knew all the scenes, but I wasn't quite sure how they put together because I legit haven't seen it in about 20 years. Yeah. The 05 one, on the other hand, was... It came out when I was 15. It was one of the first years I really started going to movies a lot, and it was because I was a teenager. I had a little bit of cash, a little bit of allowance to throw around. I had friends who would go to movies, and I was allowed to go to movies alone for the first time because as long as I wasn't seeing something rated R... So this is one of those movies I saw in theaters, and then that Christmas I got it on DVD, and what I would do for every DVD I got for Christmas was watch the shit out of it, including all of the special features and as much as I could get until the disc was dry, basically, and I was bored to move on to the next one. So I had seen the 2005 movie probably 50 times. And you never got tested, like, not even one time? I did really well in school. So they never saw a need to test me for anything. Even though I very clearly exhibited some symptoms of the tism. (laughs) I like how we both 
have the relationship with the movies where we're like, we're not even sure we necessarily liked them. We just watched the shit out of them. We'll get to that because I am sure of how I felt about it. Okay. Yeah, I know. I'm going to have some spicy takes today. But, anywho, I watched that a bunch, and I probably, again, haven't seen it for about 15 years now. Because I, I sucked that DVD dry, put it back on the shelf, never saw a need to revisit it till now. I'm pretty sure that I didn't watch that movie because I didn't want to fuck Johnny Depp in it. And I was deep in the, like, wanting to fuck Johnny Depp phase. Intentional. <laughs> I assumed so. Uh, he did not want to be fucked in that movie. And uh, you know what? Let's listen to... Should we play two trailers? Should we play them both? Because we're going to talk about them. Might as well. It'll we're gonna, be interesting. We're going to play both trailers back to back. And uh, we'll, we'll get a little... Uh, I, we'll see how that goes. I do love the old trailers. I'd like a bar of chocolate, please. My dear friends, you are now about to enter the nerve center to the entire Wonka factory. Inside this room, all of my dreams become realities, and some of my realities become dreams. Boys and girls, the chocolate room. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. What is this, Wonka? Some kind of fun house? Why, having fun? We are the music makers. And we are the dreamers of dreams. How did you like the chocolate factory, Charlie? I think it's the most wonderful place in the whole world. All aboard, everybody. So shines a good deed in a weary world. This is kind of strange. Yes, but it's fun. <laughs> Charlie, don't forget what happened to the man who suddenly got everything he always wanted. What happened? He lived happily ever after. Have you ever seen a single person going into that factory? There must be people working there. The only thing that comes out of that place is the candy. I'd give anything in the world just to go in that amazing factory. Dear people of the world, I, Willy Wonka, have decided to allow five children to visit my factory. Five golden tickets have been hidden underneath the wrapping paper of five ordinary Wonka bars. Wouldn't it be something, Charlie, to open a bar of candy and find a golden ticket? But I only get one bar a year. Nothing's impossible. You found Wonka's last golden ticket! From director Tim Burton. Please enter. Who are you? He's Willy Wonka. <gasps> I'm Tyler Beauregard. I don't care. I don't want to sleep. I love the chocolate. I can see that. I'm Veruca Salt. Daddy, I want another pony. You're my TV. Die, die, die! <laughs> okay. And you. Well, you're just lucky to be here, aren't you? Welcome to the factory. Warner Brothers invites you to enter a whole new world. Unlike anything you've ever imagined. It's beautiful. Where dreams are your reality. Look over there. 
They're in Olympus. Back off, you little freaks. I do say that all seemed rather rehearsed. You're really weird. And Willy Wonka. Let's boogie. Is your guide. Ew. <laughs> Five lucky kids will follow in his footsteps. I want a squirrel. Don't touch that squirrel's nuts. Why is everything here completely pointless? But only one. Candy doesn't have to have a point. That's why it's candy. Will find his heart. Hold on. Johnny Depp. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wow. Oh, you're a little tipsy? I'm a little tipsy from my candy beer. Me? Did you put fucking gushers in your beverage again? Yes, it's Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. What was your excuse during the Hunger Games? I was hungry. So shall we get into it? Yes. All right. It's fucking Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know how it goes. But just in case you're forgetful or haven't found out in your life, let me run this down for you real quick. <clears throat> Charlie Bucket is a poor boy who lives in poverty in the shadow of a capitalist giant's candy factory. He dreams of one day seeing inside because capitalism poisons the minds of children. Wonka... The owner of the factory announces a golden ticket program, allowing five lucky children inside the factory for one day, promising a lifetime supply of chocolate and a special prize for one of the children. During the factory tour, capitalism claims four more young lives. Augustus Gloop drowns in chocolate and is made into fudge. Violet Beauregard is turned into a blueberry and is juiced to death. Veruca Salt falls down a garbage chute and is incinerated. And Mike TV is simultaneously teleported and shrunk, then is sent to the taffy puller to be stretched out, presumably to death. Since he is the lone survivor, Charlie is given the keys to the Wonka Kingdom to live happily ever after. Like most who succeed in capitalism, he was in the right place at the right time and knew the right people, and his lack of discernible talent and applicable education made no difference. <laughs> The end. So that was definitely a summary of the movies. Are you gonna be okay? No! <laughs> no, I'm not! So... Did I get a little anti-capitalist in that? A smidge. Just a, a touch? A smidge. Just a hair? A hint. <laughs> So, I'm going to tell the listeners what I told you when I came home today. Okay. So, I tap my books with arrows with different colors on them. And I have five different colors. And the different colors are red for every time Roald Dahl was problematic. Red for a big stop sign for stop being racist. <laughs> yellow is capitalism is a fuck. No capitalism, gold, yellow. Makes sense. Uh, green was a specific question that you asked me that I won't say yet because we'll get into it. Blue was things that didn't age well. Not Blue for, humor. Not necessarily for racist reasons. Uh, and purple is all of the times that the uh, songs 
uh, were the same from screen to book. I don't have a comparison thing for purple. <laughs> purple prose? No, nothing, nothing rhymes with purple, but music rhymes. <laughs> Stretch. I had so, a good one for green too, but doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know what? Fuck it. Green was things that are. Uh, is this book a fairy tale? Mm-hmm. And fairies live in the woods, which are green. And my corresponding question, my que- my answer to you in the form of a question back was, is a morality tale a fairy tale? To which I guess I would say yes, if the morality tale is told with a bit of magic. Uh, what did I say about magic realism factory? <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember either, but... There's actually a point when they first enter the factory um, where Charlie says something to the effect of seeing the door close behind them. Charlie glanced back over his shoulder and saw the great iron entrance gate slowly closing behind him. The crowds on the outside were still pushing and shouting. Charlie took a last look at them. Then, as the gates closed with a clang, all sight of the outside world disappeared. That is page 60 when you enter the factory. It's clearly a... It function. The factory functions the same way that, like, a portal into the fey realm exists in a fairy tale. Yeah. Like, it's, when you cross that threshold, and it's the same in both movies. Yeah. When you cross that threshold, things get a little off. Do you remember the conversation, or I think I actually sent it to you, it's about the um, the wackiness threshold or the nonsense threshold? Yeah, yeah, it was, I think, a TikTok that you sent me, and it was in regards to Scott Pilgrim, future, like, probably two-parter of the pod. Two-parter? It's gonna be a freaking six-parter. Bro, I could talk for years about Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's like the, like, when you get into magical realism, it's like a threshold of three. Scott Pilgrim has a threshold of ten, because out of nowhere, Ramona just brings up that he's got a subspace highway in his head that lets her travel faster, and he just accepts it. And then all of a sudden, he's punching people into coins. It's, all of Raw Dahl's books exist in this kind of, I would say, like, a solid five on the nonsense scale, because there is a morality... And it's a very specific morality, but you're not necessarily punished for deviating from it if you're a good person. And I feel like that says something about how Roald Dahl felt about children in that he fucking hated children, but wrote stories for them. He despised children, and the worst possible thing you could be was a fat child. Oh, yeah. that's Why do you think Gloop is the first to go? The worst possible thing you can be in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is either a fat woman, a mother, or a fat child. Those are the worst things you can be. I feel like he only wrote children's books because he had an ideal of what a perfect person was and wanted to ingrain that in children as young as possible. So... This edition of the book, I'm actually checking to see if I can see when it was, um, what edition this is specifically. First edition autographed. (laughs) This is the 98. This came out in September of 2001. Oh, Um, you know, a month in which nothing else important happened. So 
This edition has an interview with Roald Dahl at the end of it, and he Ooh. talks about his writing process. And I think the reason he writes for children is that he talks about how he writes about horrifying things in a way where you never actually see the horror. And so the that's why he feels that he can write the stories for children, because he wants to explore this kind of expanded reality without getting into, like, the gross detail that you would have to for an older audience. Sure. That definitely explains why I always felt uneasy watching Roald Dahl properties when I was a kid. I don't think I ever read him. Mm -hmm. I remember when James and the Giant Peach came out. And I liked it enough because it was, you know, stop-motion animation. It was It was different. It wasn't Disney, right? Yeah. But it still left me uneasy the whole time, and I couldn't quite place why. And I had a similar feeling when I was a kid watching Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I don't just mean the boat scene. I feel like it reminds me... I feel like if you were a Roald Dahl kid, either with Matilda or James and the Giant Peach... Or like, we grew up in the renaissance of Roald Dahl movies and books. And like, Matilda, too. I loved that movie. I still love that movie. Yep. They lock a child in a fucking Iron Maiden. That's that scared the shit out of me as a kid. They do it multiple times. Like once is multiple times. You're locking a child in an Iron Maiden. So I pulled up my, um, I flipped through the interview really quick, and what he says is that um, the question is, what is the secret to keeping your readers entertained? And he says, my lucky thing is I laugh at exactly the same jokes that children laugh at, and that's one reason I'm able to do it. So yeah. I think it's I think it's because he has a he was probably told one too many times he has a childish sense of humor. There. Oh, I but was I'm... in the middle of a point. Sorry. Oh. Um, I feel like in the Roald Dahl, if you you grew up when we did in the '90s and early aughts, you had kind of two paths, which was either you went like the the Tim Burton spooky gothic level um and that was kind of like the books like the, a series of unfortunate events where everything terrible keeps happening but it's funny and that seems like the the like successor for older children that were into Roald Dahl yeah. um or you kind of just got into fantasy at large which is great because you had also the explosion of dystopian fiction cuz that would have been when uh, the Hunger Games was later, but, like, Animorphs was coming out. Yeah, it was. Um, you also had, like, Brian Jacques was still writing. Um, and you also had, like, Harry Potter coming out. I think, out. like, Ender's Game was on a resurgence, at least at that point, because I remember it. Yeah. But, um, it's, it's funny you bring up, it's funny that we bring up the uh, weird horror elements of Roald Dahl, because that goes back to the fairy tale thing. Mm -hmm. because the classic fairy tales, even the ones that Disney neutered and sanitized, had creepy elements of it. And that's why I wanted to ask that question. Yeah. Because, like, classic, the original Cinderella, like, she cuts off a fucking foot. Each of the sisters cut off yeah, part they, of their they foot. Yeah, they cut off their feet. Um, Which, I if know, you like that story, I highly recommend Stepsister. It's a really good book. Anyway. Like, the original Little Mermaid tale, I don't know it, but I know it's dark. She can never see her family again, and every step she takes is like stepping on 10,000 hot knives. And stuff like that is why when a kid shrinks himself and has to get stretched out in a taffy puller, 
is why I think this is a fairy tale. This is a modern fairy tale. I agree with you. And I agree with you in the sense that fairy tales are about kids going, or fairy tales are about your protagonist going through experiences that change them. And it's also on a wider level, it's about the bad people getting punished specifically for being bad in ways that correlate to their mm-hmm. badness. Like precise karmic retribution. Exactly. And um, the good people getting rewarded. They still go through the ringer in the process, but the good people get rewarded for being good. And that's why um, I agree with you. This is definitely a fairy tale. And it's also a morality tale, mm-hmm. which is made really fucking clear by the Greek chorus of Oompa Loompas and the... <laughs> they are totally a fucking Greek chorus. They are. They are the Greekest chorus to ever sing a tune. They are. And all of them very specifically and clearly laying out why each child is being punished, how they are enjoying punishing those children... And how you can avoid falling victim to the same fate as those children. It's incredible. Excuse me. So, so you agree with me, then, that this is a fairy tale, a morality tale with magical realism elements, etc., etc. Yes, absolutely. That is where I'm going to lay my spicy takedown. Okay. And I know I'm going to have to take the rest of this podcast to back it up. <laughs> okay. The Tim Burton movie is better than the Gene Wilder movie. The, the, the Tim Burton movie understood the assignment better than the Gene Wilder movie did. That's not to say that Willy Wonka is bad and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is good. That is to say that Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a comedy. And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the 2005, is a fairy tale. As much as I hate the sentence that is about to come out of my mouth, I agree with you. I love how you always proceed that sentence with that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> no matter what we're talking about. <laughs> I am no man's peace. My job is to cause you suffering. If I am not causing you suffering, I'm not doing my job. So, I agree with you because I watched bits and pieces of the timber. Yeah. I was floating in and out while you, you were, were watching yeah. it. I think that... Especially in that era, because that was Corpse Bride, Nightmare Before Christmas. He was doing Corpse Bride simultaneously. Which is... Like, Johnny Depp would be, like, not literally, but basically in Wonka costume recording lines for Corpse Bride. That is absolutely bananas. It's insane. And and not not only was... Oh my god, my fucking... My muscle just cramped. (laughs) (laughs) What the... Oh god... It would be an episode of this podcast if we didn't have like a sudden medical emergency. The ghost of Gene Wilder said no. Wilder got pissed. Oh fuck! Oh shit! Oh no! I hit the TV. I don't think I did anything to the computer. Oh no! Oh no! (laughs) It's just gonna be several minutes of us panicking for no reason. Okay, we're good. We're still recording. Okay, good. I wanted to put this down somewhere. How does this keep happening? Oh, I turned the fucking Blu-ray player on. That's how. Oh my god, how much of this am I leaving in? <laughs> Struggle! We just fell the fuck apart. Um, what was I talking about before, like, my arm broke and then the TV broke? Uh, Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. Oh, like- yeah, they were like, not only was it Johnny Depp, 
Tim Burton, Helena Bottom Carter, and fucking Hans Zimmer. He did both? He did both! Dang! It's, like, there's bits of the Corpse Bride score in the score for Charlie and Chocolate Factory. That actually, you know, I think that that's probably why, it's probably why it has a fairy tale vibe, because the Corpse Bride is, I, I don't want to say it's a fairy tale, but it's a Jewish folk Sorry, tale. I said Hans Zimmer multiple times. Danny Elfman is who I meant. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm, my bad. Oingo Boingo himself. <laughs> I know. I, I do love Danny Elfman. Um, oh my god, he's so good. But I wonder if that's why Willy Wonka or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory has those vibes of folktale or fairy tale. Because Corpse Bride is literally a Jewish folktale. We can have a whole other discussion about how um, Tim Burton stripped all of the Jewishness out of it. But we only have so much time for anti-Semitism on this podcast and we've got Raw Dahl to talk about. Also, as Gentiles. <laughs> Might not be the... But this I digress. is true. But these, this um, is all common complaints. But yeah, I mean, there's also like... A thing you said earlier about Charlie gets the good at the end because he's the good one. Mm-hmm. That is something that always bothered me about the Gene Wilder film is the fizzy lifting drinks. That he and Joe do try them after Wonka says no. So, something interesting. You know how I said that Roald Dahl's morality, as long as you are basically a good person, you can stray and still be okay? Mm-hmm. In the book, Charlie finds the dollar and goes and buys a candy bar. And he's like, I'm going to give my money right to my mom. He eats that whole first candy bar. And he sees the coins on the counter. And he's like, what if I have one more? And yes, I am going to give him leeway because he's literally starving to death. Roald Dahl makes that explicitly clear. But he is being selfish, and he's rewarded for being selfish with the last golden ticket. It's the first, last, and only time this little boy is selfish in this entire book, but it pays off for him. Yeah, and and that's something that I think the, the Burton movie handles really well. Because when he, one of his chocolate bars, when it doesn't have the ticket inside, I think it's his birthday bar, he splits it with the whole family. Yeah. And I don't know what happens after he gets, when he gets the bar with the ticket. But he doesn't order two there. I think he just orders the one in the movie. When he finds, like, the tenor. Yeah. But. This poor child buys four chocolate bars. He is the luckiest motherfucker in the world. That is a very funny scene in the 1971 when his teacher is teaching the percentages. Yeah. And he's like, say there's a thousand Wonka bars. How many did you open, Susie? Oh, a hundred. He's like, okay, so one hundred out of a thousand. That's one percent or ten percent. <laughs> and then he, he's like, Charlie, how many did you open? Two. Okay, so two hundred. No, just two. I can't do that math. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean to? <laughs> His very aggressively British teacher for no reason. Except that they definitely shot it in Germany. Of course it was Germany. Of course it was Germany. It looks very German. It's so German. Also, let's be real. No one wants to buy... If if Willy Wonka's factory was in America, nobody's gonna buy fucking Hershey's 
every day of the year. You need luxury chocolate. Yeah, but also if Hershey was like, here, there's five silver tickets, and they get you into our factory tour, you and I both know, so? You can just fucking go. You just, you just go to the factory, and they have a little tour ride where they teach you how they make the chocolate, and they give you a candy bar at the end. Okay, but did Chocolate World the ride happen because of this book? I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. Look at both of us Pennsylvania natives. You know, I grew up with the Hershey chocolate ride. I don't know its fucking existence. Um, so... Speaking of morality, you want to have some conversations about Raul Dahl and his aggressive problematicness, aggressive problematic nature? Uh, should we? It's all over this book. Sorry, you know- I'm busy Googling trying to figure out how old the Hershey chocolate door is. <laughs> <coughs> oh, they've upgraded it again since we've last been. It's been like 15 <coughs> I remember it the before. Before when they gave us the fucking air bubble chocolate. We were like, this is bullshit. I remember before they added the singing cows and it was just like a chill farm set. It was more living on the land back then. I remember before the cows too. Anyway, I'm tired of Googling. We're we're talking about how uh, Roald Dahl is a fucking racist piece of shit. So not only is he racist we're not even gonna get into transphobia because i'm pretty sure he doesn't like women um (laughs) that's not transphobia that's misogyny right but we're not even if you don't like women you're not gonna like trans folk let's be real you're not gonna like trans women trans men you won't even notice that's what's going on with the right right now. They hate women so much that they're willing to accept them if they transition into men. Just not the other way around. Well, they they don't think anyone. No, it's vice versa. Transition into men. They don't think about them. Oh yeah, that's true. What's that Bo? What's that BoJack Horseman line? I don't know. <laughs> this country hates women more than it loves guns. That's um, the one. <laughs> so I'm just gonna show you that. You see how much red there is in this book. of those, and that is not an exaggeration, 90% of the red tabs are him talking about or calling someone fat. Usually a woman, and he's usually describing her mouth as a big fat red mouth. He almost exclusively, with the exception of Augustus Gloop, calls women fat. Huh. Seems like he had a vendetta. Yeah. Um, also, can we talk about the names of the chocolatiers that are rivals to Wonka? Fickle Gruber is one of them. Fickle Gruber? Prodnose? Oh, God. What's the, the... The one that's the, the, the spy, quote-unquote, in the 71. Isn't that Fickle Gruber? No. It's the other one. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> Uh, Prodnose and Slugworth. 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 That's what it was. Yes. I mean, I, Roald Dahl wasn't the, the cleverest of namers. Grandpa Joe and Grandpa Josephine. <laughs> Grandma Josephine. <laughs> Grandpa George and Grandma Georgina. Like, at least have them marry each other. I think, <laughs> I think they changed it for the movie, but there's another parent set that's Henry and Henrietta. <laughs> <laughs> so... I'm just gonna 
I'm just gonna flip through my my red marks, and I'm just gonna read the sentences. Content warming, fat phobia. Yes, absolutely. Oh, this one's just a racist one. Tell Charlie about that crazy Indian prince. He'd like to hear that. Completely dotty. Okay. Um, I also have a comment to make about Prince Pondicherry in that story, which is only in the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. They cut it. They cut it for the seventy-one because it would have been way too expensive. Yep. They did not have the budget. Uh huh. These five candy bars may be anywhere, in any shop, in any street, in any town, in any country in the world. Huh, convenient that it's all five white children with that are English speakers that buy it. Hey, Augustus Gloop spoke German. <laughs> okay, this is the description of Augustus Gloop from the picture. So this is what Charlie's family thinks of Augustus Gloop. Okay. I mean, it's the narrator, but in theory. The picture showed a nine-year-old boy who was so enormously fat he looked as though he had been blown up with a powerful pump. Great flabby folds of fat bulged out from every part of his body, and his face was like a monstrous ball of dough with two small greedy currenty eyes peering out upon the world. Oh, Lord. Yeah. That's, that's worse than when J.K. Rowling called Dudley Dursey wider than he was tall. With very little neck. This this feels like a previous uh, version of, uh, like, she learned how to write from reading these. Yeah. This is a character that we're supposed to be sympathetic to. This is the guy that sells Charlie the chocolate bar. Bill? Yes. Be, it is yes. Bill? No, he doesn't, he's not named. But it's Bill. Yes. The man behind the counter looked fat and well-fed. He had big lips and fat cheeks and a very fat neck. The fat around his neck bulged out all around the top of his collar like a rubber ring. Like, fat cheeks and fat lips doesn't bother me, but when he gets into that, like, the neck bulging out, it's like, what are you trying to do? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's clear what he's trying to do. He's, he's trying to see less fat people in his life. Yes. Well, too bad, buddy. This is America, and you're British and dead. Um, Wait. <laughs> when they first go into the, um, the chocolate room, Automatically, everybody bent down and picked one blade of grass. Everybody, that is, except Augustus Gloop, who took a big handful. Also, the introduction of the Oompa Loompas. They're all, oh, here we go. They're all wearing deer skins. You have, you have stated that they eat oh. cacao beans. Why are they wearing deer skins? What native caricature are you trying to portray? Mr. Doll. Well, perhaps the answer is in early manuscripts, which, when Burton was signed on to direct, he went to the Doll estate, went to Roald Doll's actual writing shack, and looked at the original manuscripts for this. They, Burton has claimed that the original manuscripts are even more politically incorrect than what was released, including a child named, and I shit you not, Herpes. Is that the character that was gonna be fucking, um, Violet? Maybe Veruca. Because a Veruca is a kind of wart. Oh, yes it is. Which is a line in the O5. Augustus was deaf to everything except the call of his enormous stomach. Also, things that didn't age well 
Augustus, shouted Mrs. Gloop, you'll be giving that nasty cold of yours to about a million people all over the country. Oh, fucking hell. She sent him into the Chocolate River with COVID. <laughs> Luckily, Wonka was going to throw all that chocolate away anyway because it touched human hands. Yup. Which, actually, good on him. For the 70s? Then suddenly, Violet Beauregard, the goofy gum-chewing girl, let out a yell of excitement. I don't mind that descriptor in there because I get Violet and Veruca confused all the time. Yeah, it's kind of rough to have two Vs. Yeah, it's... I have to remember that Violet turns into a blueberry. Violet, you're turning Violet, Violet! And Veruca Salt is a bad nut. Like, all of these are just... It's just finding excuses to call women fat. Yes, and complain about fat women. And it's just like, come on, dude. Like, I, I, we'll get to it when we get to Matilda, but I want to know how he describes Trunchbull. Because oh. she's, in the movie, she is like a former Olympic athlete, former shot put, uh, oh, was it something shot put hammer throw? Javelin shot put hammer throw. Yes, she is a former Olympic athlete in the book as well. Yeah. I remember that. Cause I that, just want to know how she's described. Not kindly. Because <laughs> she looks like <laughs> Phil and Lil's mom in the fucking movie. <laughs> Real 90s lesbian vibes from her. God bless that actress. She did so. She Queen. did such a good job. She's so good in that movie. She's like the most memorable part of that movie. Yes. We'll also, talk about it when we get to it. Also, Miss Honey. Let's be real. I know. <laughs> Didn't have a crush on her. <laughs> we need to stop talking about Matilda. Mm-hmm. So, Raw Doll has a problem with fat people. Yep. Um, his anti-Semitism isn't quite as strong. It's a lot of on the edges here. There's like no bankers for him to point at or. <laughs> I'm at risk of becoming anti-Semitic myself right now. <laughs> but it, it, He's not whining about some secret government control in the world here. It, it's just that good old boy capitalist. The the descriptions of Fickle Gruber and Prodnose and Slugworth, the like little side bits that we get here and there, it just it feels like those were all racist. Well, F- Fickle Gruber feels too German for me to be racist or Jewish in 1970. <laughs> but yeah, I can see where you get there with Prodnose and Slugworth. Yeah. For sure. Am I the problem? Am I the anti-Semite? <laughs> Luckily, when they made the movie, they thought about that. Have you ever wondered why it's called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Uh, no. I mean, yes, but no. So, the... Official explanation. The way that this movie came to be, basically, was the director's daughter read it. She was 10. And she said, Dad, go to Uncle Dave, or whatever his name is, the producer. Make this into a movie. And he was like, all right. And he went to the producer, and he was like, yo, my daughter wants to see this as a movie. And he's like, that's funny. I've been talking with Quaker Oats. And they're going to open a candy department. And they were looking for product placement. So the original Wonka bars came out in 71 as a Quaker Oats product to tie in with this movie. So the official explanation is Willy Wonka, Wonka bars, there's your synergy. Some other fun explanations were, do you know what the phrase Mr. Charlie meant in the 1960s? I sure don't. It was an expression in the black community to refer to white men in power. My God. 
Do you know other uses of the word Charlie in the 60s and 70s? Wasn't that, uh, didn't it have to do with soldiers? It was short for, uh, I believe, Victor Charlie, or VC, Viet Cong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah, uh, Forrest Gump, it's coming back to me. So you know what? I'm going to say something that I may regret in the future, but corporate synergy was kind of right on this one. By 2005? Fine. You could get away with it. But 1971? Smart move. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say something that I'm going to regret. Were we still in Vietnam in 71? I believe so. Okay. <laughs> I, I think we... We never went past World War II in high school. Let's see, my dad was born in 54. <laughs> so he would have been 18 in 72. Because I think he told me once when he was a kid that he got drafted, but the war just ended. Or ended before he got he had to serve. I want to so say, like, say 72, 73. I was going to say, yeah, like 73, 74 is somewhere, what's in my head. Somewhere in there. But my dad would have been over 18, so... Yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about the movies at all? Obviously. Or did you have more you wanted to um, bring up about the book? Because I've got a lot of the movies. I mean, I think I've pretty much covered what I wanted to cover because we talked to, we talked about the um, we talked about the fairy tale elements of it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I did want to say uh, in in defense of your thesis that uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the two thousand five is it's definitely a closer adaptation of the book that was 100 percent intentional when um the the doll estate so roll doll hated the original movie for a very funny reason now the reason was it gave too much to the willy wonka character which is really funny because they go deeper into that character's backstory in the 2005 and what is coming out next weekend but the Willy Wonka prequel is called Wonka. Is the doll estate involved with Wonka? I don't know. Huh. I know they were heavily involved in this. Because, because he, ref- he hated he, the 71. He hated the 71. He refused to sell the film rights to the sequel, Charlie and the Glass Elevator. Mm-hmm. Still has not, not been made. I've never even read that one. And it wasn't until he passed. I think he passed? 92. He passed 92. So it was just before he passed that he gave Warner the rights to the, the film mm-hmm. to give it another shot. And it took them close to 15 years to make this second movie. Sorry, he died in 1990. 1990. Okay, so it was just after then the the estate gave them the rights. And when Burton was picked, he was the only director that the estate approved of, which is fascinating to me. But also, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas wasn't him. That was was the other guy. He had his fingers Um, all over it, but But like Frankenweenie and Edward Scissorhands and these other like Tim Burton movies... Have that roll doll energy. Yeah. So I completely understand it. It's that like horror movie for kids, horror movie light mm-hmm. vibe. And when uh, they picked him, he picked his writer, John August, who was also a writer on Corpse Bride. Uh, okay. He also did Charlie's Angels. When he signed on to do the screenplay, he asked Burton, like, oh, I haven't seen the original one. Should I watch that? And he claims that Burton almost leapt across the table to tell him no. So, I 
I, when we were watching the 71, I did a little bit of Googling. Yeah. Because um, I, I was looking at something specific for one of the actors. I can't remember what it was. And I happened to read that Dahl actually wrote the screenplay for the 71. Mm-hmm. But there was uncredited rewrites, and that's why he hated it so much. Dahl wrote the screenplay, which apparently he also wrote the screenplays for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and the James Bond film You Only Live Twice. <laughs> But I digress. He did the original script. Then they had two ghost writers on. Roald Dahl still got the credit. And I think they attribute about 70% of the script to him still. Uh, David Seltzer came in. He is a writer on the Omen series. From the second one all the way up to the 2006. He came in and did the songs. Which is interesting. Oh no, this is 2005. The songs are taken directly from the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wrote a lot of the original songs. I think he, including Candyman, and I think the Oompa Loompa songs. The other one was Robert Kaufman, who did a lot of, like, little sketch comedy bits at the beginning. Uh, The first act. Mm -hmm. Like, the woman who is, uh... Her husband's been kidnapped. Her husband's been kidnapped. And they're ransoming him. (laughs) The ransom is her her box of Wonka bars, and she has to think about it. (laughs) And there was one that was cut... Where a guy, like, climbs a mountain in the Himalayas and sees a guru and asks the guru, what is the meaning of life? And the guru says, one Wonka bar, please. Opens it, no ticket, and says, the meaning of life is disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) Great sketch comedy bits. Uh, Robert Kaufman was a writer on the Bob Newhart show. So that makes sense. Um, The other thing I wanted to say about the book is that having rewatched the 71 a lot of the offhand lines that Wonka has are jokes that are in the book they're just in different places Mm -hmm. so pretty much everything Gene Wilder says is cribbed from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory it's just not necessarily when he says it right which Gene Wilder had such an influence on that production (sighs) we'll talk about the famous one which is uh his introduction in the film when he first appears walking with a limp with the cane and then leaves the cane behind in a cobblestone, falls forward and turns into a somersault. Mm -hmm. He brought that up in his audition. Basically at his audition, they were like, we don't need to see anybody else as you. And he was like, okay, but I need to do this at the beginning. I need to do this for the character. It needs to happen or I don't do the movie. Because it establishes right away, which was his point, you can't trust this man. Nope. Everything is, everything is artificial, everything is a performance. Exactly. And he is the best part of that movie. His deadpan delivery, help, police, (laughs) murder, just, (laughs) just, oh, just a delicious, delicious treat. (laughs) Other actors considered... Beyond Gene Wilder. Of course, he's the right choice. Yes. Fred Astaire. But I think he was in his 70s at the time. He's too goofy. I could see him doing like the physicality of it. A younger Fred Astaire. Peter Sellers. Oh, because that would have been strange love Peter Sellers, right? About 10 years after, five years after, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And all six members of Monty Python. Oh, no. <laughs> they were too unknown at the point, at the time. They're too... Gene Wilder is that perfect straight man. 
who's also telling jokes. Monty Python is too eh. They'd be eh? too wacky. Yeah. They they'd go a little too into it like Johnny Depp did. Yeah. Another actor who wanted to play a part, uh, Bill the candy store owner, Sammy Davis Jr. wanted to play that part. But they didn't want to give it to a big name. Okay. He ended up making a shit ton of money off that song, too. Yeah. Like, that was one of his fucking staples. Even though it was written for this movie. Yeah. Both movies did almost everything practically. There are some very obvious moments of CG in the in the Tim Burton movie. But they kept shit as practical as possible, including a lot of both chocolate rooms were edible. Huh. Some clearly wasn't in the 71. Especially that fucking water. The muddy bread. The, the fucking it's, sewage water. It's too thin. That's the problem, is that it's too thin. It needed to be thicker. And, and the actual on-set chocolate water they used in the 2005 movie looked so much better. The actor who played Augustus Gloop, Michael Bolner, uh, referred to it as cold, stinking water in interviews. <laughs> in the in the 71. Um, I didn't see anything from the guy who played Gloop in, in the newer one. So, while we're talking about backstage shit in movies, there are two things that this podcast fucking loves. <laughs> we love some method directing, like... Uh, William Friedkin slapping a priest. And we love some devious little shitheads on set. We love the menaces. Give us a menace. What do you want first? The method directing or the menace? I want the menace. Kill me. Tell me who the menace uh, is. Who do you think the menace was on the 1971 set? My... Wh- which of the children was the menace? <laughs> See, my heart said Gene Wilder, but I knew it had to be one of the children. I will tell you then the Gene Wilder quote. Interviewer, how are you getting along with the child actors? Wilder, oh, four of them are great, and one of them I'm going to shoot in the head tomorrow. (laughs) Who? Whomst among them? It had to be Mike TV. It was absolutely Mike TV. Mike TV had to be a little shit. Do you know what Mike TV did? Do Do you remember the scene that makes the three course meal gum? Yes. Do you remember the machine? Filled with actual bits of food. Yes. Do you remember the live beehive on that machine? No! What did he do? He opened the beehive. Do you know what those were playing the bees? Were they live bees? Worse. They were wasps. No! That was shit! Stopped filming for like I think it was multiple days because he released live wasps on set. He immediately got stung in in a rolled doll esque turn of events. Immediately got got. No! Oh god, that's better than my wildest dreams. This is why we didn't record last night, because it took me all day yesterday to fucking research just this movie. Oh, God. (sighs) 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 Last night, you you guessed Charlie. I did guess Charlie. He He wasn't a little shit, but he was a little heartbreaker. Because both Veruca and Violet had little crushes on Charlie. 
Oh. And they both wanted to spend time with little Charlie Bucket. But they were friends. So they'd alternate days. Oh, girls get shit done! And on their off days from Charlie, I think it was the DP's kid played one of the kids in the classroom. They were He was the backup. So they would just... <laughs> Back and forth between the two. Oh, was it the was it the little one with the like dark hair and the blue eyes? I think he's the one who sits in front of Charlie. I'm not sure. Cause there's a guy there's a kid that appears in like multiple scenes and he's just like a little cutie pie. Oh, so you felt it too when you were a little child. <laughs> so the other thing, method directing. We already talked about Wilder doing the, the flip roll. No one on set knew about that. He left it for them. The kids were not allowed to see the chocolate room until shoot day. He wanted the legitimate wonder in their eyes. I dig that. I get it. That's that's a good one. Yeah. That leads me to believe there's going to be bad ones. <laughs> the infamous tunnel boat scene. They did not know what was going to be projected on that wall. Sir. Also, I read a story. I don't think I wrote it down who it was, but it was like a friend of the producer did the millipede on the face thing specifically for this. That's where that and that horror movie where they go in your mouth. Nope. You can't do bugs. The office scene just before the elevator at the end. When they rehearsed it, Wonka was more sympathetic when the camera was rolling. That's when he started a yelling. This one came from Wilder. This was his idea. To his credit, he felt bad about it because he and Peter Ostrom, who played Charlie, were becoming friends on set. Oh. And he was like, oh, I should warn him. I can't. I can't. I got to do it right. Got to do it right. You get nothing. Good day, sir. <laughs> I, as much as Charlie is very go girl, give us nothing in this movie. <laughs> um, his eyes in that scene are just so sad. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> I I adore his performance in that movie. Like, two scenes in particular, that scene at the end, and when he finds the golden ticket, the way that's shot and the joy in his eyes, is it's brilliant. He's yeah. very good. Um, he actually did his own uh, vocals for I Got a Golden Ticket. They told him they weren't going to use his take, but they used his take. <laughs> it was cheaper. And, bro, the 70s, you could get away with so much random bullshit <laughs> on set. So in 2005, they had a bunch of 12, 10 to 13-year-olds playing these kids, right? Mm -hmm. In Britain, at the time, four and a half hour work days for children. That's all you get. Mm -hmm. So it took them six months to make that movie. Yeah. In 1971, on her 13th birthday... Julie Dawn Cole, who played Veruca Salt, did the I Want It Now performance 36 times. That's a long shoot day. 30, on your 13th fucking birthday. How many times did she have to fall down the bad egg shoot? <laughs> <laughs> they were just... And, and not to mention that, but like at the end of the day, Bob Fosse would be waiting outside, waiting to use the stage for cabaret. <laughs> like... <laughs> Fucking Bob Fosse smoking a cigarette, just, you know, crumpily cussing out children, as only Bob Fosse knows how. <laughs> like, my God. Uh, the guy who played Grandpa George, 
fought in World War One, was partially blinded by poison gas. So he needed a bright red light on set to know where to look. This is just some of the crazy fucking shit that happened. Uh, the the Wonkatania, you know, the, the boat? Yes. Was on a track, as you expect it to work. No one told the Oompa Loompa who thought he was steering it. Sir... <laughs> I'm so sorry, sir. I'm sure that you did not deserve anything that happened to you. The Wonka car. Uh, the big, like, bike thing that he pedals at the top and, like, all the foam sprays out. Yes. First of all, it was supposed to be an Oompa Loompa pedaling it, but his legs couldn't reach the pedals. Oh. That foam was soap. That was an irritant. Oh, no. Week and a half off until everyone's skin cleared up after that shoot. The 70s were a different time. <laughs> 70s were a different time. Uh, the picture they used of the Paraguayan who forged the ticket. Yes. Was an actual picture of Martin Borman, who was the head of the Nazi party chancellery. Which is a bit of a joke, considering he's in Paraguay. In the 70s. <sighs> I think it's a woman in the book. <laughs> It's it's like a Russian in the 2005. That's that's why I mean, but like the 71 was a comedy, whereas the 2005 was a fairy tale. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a it's a Russian woman named something. Yeah. Charlotte Roos claims. There it is. That's her name. When Violet turns Violet and is a blueberry, her suit was two giant pieces of styrofoam she was stuck in, <laughs> and. She later claimed that the Oompa Loompas, quote, didn't have their blueberry driver's licenses. <laughs> I also believe she was stuck in that suit through lunch at one point. Oh, no! The actress who played Veruca accidentally kept her gobstopper and her golden ticket prop. <laughs> accidentally. Whereas Charlie Bucket returned his because he was told to. And depending on who you ask, Michael Bolner fell into the river somewhere between six and 40 times. <laughs> I feel like Michael Bolner was the one who said 40. I need to find, I think it's the 40th anniversary DVD of this, or Blu-ray, has a commentary track of the five kids. Oh, I bet that was fun. They are still friends to this day. <laughs> I, let's do the, the where are they now. Yeah. Okay. 80% of them are still friends to this day. Oh. Unfortunately. Uh, Charlie was played by Peter Ostrom. He didn't really act after this. The only other acting he attempted was he auditioned for the lead in Equus in the 70s. The reason being, after he did Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, his family bought a horse. And his dad was a lawyer, and he didn't quite understand what his dad did because he wasn't there. But the vet that took care of the horse... He would watch him and he ended up falling in love with that. And he, to this day, is a veterinarian, I think, in upstate New York. That's cool. Augustus Gloop was played by Michael Bolner. He was an actual German child. They auditioned him in Germany. He still communicates with them, but he's like a little separated because of the language barrier. He's now a tax attorney. How do you, how did finding the golden ticket make you feel? Hungry. <laughs> He only has ten lines of dialogue in the movie because he, he didn't speak English. Some right-wing rag in England that I won't name interviewed him a few years back because I think they just re-released this movie or this uh, novel 
with some language changes approved by the doll estate where they took out a lot of that fat phobia and a lot of the more racist undertones. You know what? I vaguely remember hearing about that. And of course, you know, the right wing is going to get upset about that. They're ruining our childhoods. Like, bitch, I got this from the library in 2023 and it still has all that shit in there. You're fine. Um, your childhood still happened. Your adulthood sucks. Deal with it. Um, but they, it looked like this article that I read took his words out of context at the time. Because somebody asked him like how he felt about it. And he basically just said, like, I don't feel like it's a bad thing to call a kid fat. But he's also German, and he was a little chubby boy. So I think he was just kind of... It read to me like he's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, I get it, I am. But also, like, it's really easy to take that and just... Augustus Gloop doesn't like the changes to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know? Yeah. Uh, Denise Nickerson, who played Violet, uh, she retired from acting in 1978. She ended up becoming a receptionist. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away in 2019. Uh, she had pneumonia after uh, overdosing on prescription meds. Mm. And she had a DNR, and her family chose not to resuscitate. Unfortunately, she has passed on to the great, char- uh, the great Chocolate Factory in the Sky. Where she can chew all the gum she chew, wants. Chew her fill of blueberry gum without fear of the juicing room. <laughs> uh, Veruca Salt was played by Julie Dawn Cole. She was the only one of the kids to continue acting like into adulthood. Into the 2010s, uh, she's also now a psychotherapist. Oh. And Mike was played by Paris. It's either Themen or Temen. I'm not sure. T-H-E-M-M-E-N. He retired from acting at 14... Uh, he did, like, a couple bit roles in adulthood, but, like, gimmick shit. He also, like, still stayed kind of in the industry. He was a casting director and a photographer. He's also a real estate broker. So it's good to know that they all grew up into healthy adults. They survived the ordeals. <laughs> of child stardom. Of, of capitalism and child stardom. <laughs> um, Yeah. And I love that they all, like, are still friends, and they meet up on, like, con circuits and stuff, and they do those commentary tracks. I really want to find that 40th anniversary commentary. It sounds that fascinating. It does sound really fun. Yeah. Um, should we do Where Are They Now for the 05 kids? <laughs> it's, it's less fun. <laughs> They're all in fucking Hollywood. <laughs> Two of them are. Uh, Charlie's played by Freddie Highmore. Uh, he's still doing The Good Doctor, but he was in, like... What, August Rush. Mm-hmm. He got hired because he did Finding Neverland with Johnny Depp. He, he was Johnny Depp's suggestion for the role. Yeah. We all know Friday Highmore. Yeah. Augustus Gloop was played by Philip Vigratz. Uh, he continued working in film until 2013. It's kind of hard to find out what he's been doing the last 10 years. I found his Instagram. He got kind of hot. No! He got kind of hot. No! The best part is there's a picture on there of him doing one of those... Uh, the, the 5k obstacle course things where the Spartan runs yes and it's a close up picture of his face and he's in mud oh no and like all the comments are like Augustus that is not a thing you should be doing <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is very funny <laughs> Violet was played by Anna Sophia Robb uh, she's probably the second biggest name of the five kids uh, she's Soul Surfer future episode of the pod Bridge to Terabithia yeah. Yeah, it is. Talk about horror books for children. <laughs> right. Uh, Veruca Salt was played by Julia Winter. She retired from acting. Now she's training to be a nurse in her home country of Sweden. Okay. 
And Mike TV was played by Jordan Fry. Uh, he also did a voice on Meet the Robinsons. Okay. Then he decided to go back to high school to be normal, and now he's getting back into acting. He's got some upcoming projects. Neat. So they're all still, you know, healthy young actors or young professionals. It's just wild that they're our age. Even if Freddie Highmore doesn't fucking look it. <laughs> I think he's literally my age. He is. I, I always think he's older than he is. <laughs> but just because he's been acting since I was like 12. Yeah. You know? Talking about the 2005. We've talked enough about Johnny Depp, who played the role, in his words, as he imagined George W. Bush would act while stoned. What? His performance of Willy Wonka is, what if W had a weed? Johnny. It makes a lot of sense. So, it, this is a movie that Burton, at like his peak, with his collaboration with Johnny Depp and Helena Bottom Carter, mm-hmm. you know, it was a Tim Burton movie, right? Other directors, and, and like I said, he was the only one that the Doll Estate approved. Yeah. But Warner being Warner. And it's probably for the best that they got Burton, because he had a lot more sway. But Warner being Warner was looking at other directors, including Ang Lee, you know, Hulk, Life of Pi. Uh, wasn't he, um, Crouching Tiger as well, I think? I believe so, yes. Let me double check that. Um, while you're double checking, Terry Gilliam of, like, Time Bandits and Brazil. <clears throat> and fucking Spike Jones of Jackass? You know, I can see Spike Jones. What I can't see is who was attached in April of 2002. Martin Scorsese. <laughs> The movie would be three and a half hours long. It'd be longer than the audiobook. Uh, Martin Scorsese instead chose to do The Aviator. A okay. bit more fitting for him. Okay. Um, like I said about studio involvement, one of the things they wanted to push was, in the book, I understand Mr. Bucket is still alive, right? Charlie's dad? Yes. Uh, sorry. Ang Lee did Sense and Sensibility. Oh my god, that's right. <laughs> But yes, he did do Crouching yeah. Tiger. Sorry, yes, Mr. Bucket is alive. So he's not present in the 1971, right? He's dead. They straight up say he's dead. Not present. <laughs> Just like the children are not present at the end. In the 2005, he's there and he works at the toothpaste factory like in the book. Yes. The studio wanted to kill him off in 05 too, saying, Willy Wonka will be Charlie's father figure. And Burton was like, the fuck he is? What a terrible father figure. <laughs> this fucking, Rare Tim Burton W. This fucking recluse? Absolutely not. That kid needs a grown-ass man, not a child in a man's body to teach him his ways. Good on Burton. Yeah? Quote, in some ways he's more screwed up than the kids. Warner Brothers also wanted Charlie to be, like, a whiz kid. And again, Burton is like, fucking no. He just needs to be a normal, nice kid who gets lucky. That's it. And that's why, like, the newer one is more of a fairy tale. Yeah, like, if any... Burton understood the assignment. If 
if anything, Charlie... Okay, do you remember the Goofus and Gallant comics that used to be in Highlights magazine? Yes. Charlie is Gallant, and every other child is Goofus. Exactly. <laughs> and that's why the fizzy lifting drinks thing always bothers me. Because it's the one moment that he's a fucking Goofus. Um, so besides directors, once Burton was attached, of course he only had one choice. Johnny Depp. Yes. Before Burton was attached, however, here is a list of fucking names. Now, I feel like you also need to give some context in that... This was in development for close to 15 years. Yes. <laughs> this movie was in development longer than I was alive <clears throat> at the time. For the role of Willy Wonka. Bill Murray. Nope. Christopher Walken. No. Steve Martin. Not in the 90s, maybe now. Robin Williams. Actually. Yeah. Nicholas Cage. I can't see it. Like he I'm sure he would have done a great job. He he was attached for a while and then got bored with it and then just did something else. <laughs> Nick Cage move. Con Air Nick Cage. <laughs> Jim Carrey. No, too too wacky. Michael Keaton? Maybe? This is, I assume, when Scorsese was attached. Robert De Niro. Uh, wait. <laughs> wait, we've seen Stardust. I think he Actually, would have done a good job. Speaking of Stardust, the guy who played Grandpa Joe, the guard at the wall in Stardust. Oh! Friend of the pod, Grandpa Joe. Yes. Uh, when his production company was briefly attached... Actually, I think they were still a production company on it, but he wasn't involved. Brad Pitt. No, absolutely not. I feel like the doll estate kiboshed this one. Will Smith. Okay, but genuinely, how funny would it have been for Willy Wonka to be black? Will Smith doesn't have... It would have been great. Will Smith doesn't have that range. Ah, uh, yeah. No, there <clears throat> is someone. Oh, we'll get to him. <laughs> Mike Myers. No, too wacky. Ben Stiller. No, too... N no. <laughs> Leslie Nielsen. Oh. He would have been closer to Gene Wilder than Johnny Depp in his performance, but I could see it. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> Excuse me. Back at it again, 40 years later. Half of Monty Python, John, John Cleese, Eric Idle, and Michael Palin. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Patrick Stewart. He's too trustworthy. You want to trust him too much. Christopher Lee. He was in the movie. I know, he's in the movie, but that's Willy Wonka. Yeah. Adam Sandler. No. He... I feel like he wouldn't have done a bad job, but I would prefer seeing him do, like, voice acting for an animated yeah. one. Dustin Hoffman. Maybe? Marilyn Manson sought the role out, too. Oh, no, fuck that guy. And the black actor, who would pull it off for all the wrong reasons, Michael Jackson. No! He wanted it so bad, he recorded his own soundtrack. No! And Warner was like, absolutely not. Can we have the soundtrack, though? And he was like, absolutely not. <laughs> and so there's there exists a Michael Jackson and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory album. Who's the guy that played Ruby Rod in Fifth Element? Oh my god, Chris... Is it Chris Tucker? Yes, Chris Tucker. Oh, no. Yes? I'm pretty sure. I always think it's Chris Tucker, and I feel like I'm always wrong about it. 
Oh, it is Chris Tucker. Okay, cool. Yeah. Why am I second guessing myself? But of course, when Burton was signed on, his number one choice was Johnny Depp. Do you want to know who his number two was? The Danny Elfman? No. Oh no, who was it? Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Are you fucking kidding me? I wasn't going to do full notes for the 2005, and then I got to that, and was like, okay, I guess I'm doing full notes for the 2005. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. Hear me out. Dave Batista. As the Oompa Loompas. <laughs> Dave Batista and John Cena as the Oompa Loompas. Oh my god. Uh, the Oompa Loompas in this one were played by Deep Roy. He actually, this is one thing I remember from the DVD as a child. There's multiple dance scene where you see like dozens of Deep Roy Oompa Loompas doing a dance. He did that dance once for each version in the shot. That way, that way it's clear they're not all, it's not like a perfect doubling. They're all a little out of sync. One of them's going to be more tired. One of them's going to be more energetic. And it makes it so that they're all individual. And that was all done in camera. Or not in camera, I'm sorry, but uh, not as a digital effect. That was a, all right, we're going to shoot shoot the scene. Take two steps to your left. Do it again. And then move camera. Do it 16 more times. That's interesting because it's it's uncanny, but it's not uncanny valley. Yeah, it's exactly the it's, type of vibe you're supposed to get from the. It Oompa works. Loompas. It fucking works, and they paid him a fucking cool mill for that too. He deserved it. He absolutely deserved it. I think he might have been the second highest paid actor on that, besides Johnny Depp. Dang. Um, which good well, on considering him. he did thirty thousand acting jobs, and and that's also because he the only name in that movie was Johnny Depp. However. They did have some options for Mr. TV, thinking, hey, why don't we cast a famous TV dad like Tim Allen, Ray Romano, or Bob Saget? No, that would have been <laughs> way too distracting. The other big name they looked at, uh, unfortunately he passed before we could do it, but they looked at Gregory Peck for Grandpa Joe. Oh. I know. He would have been so good. So the story is, he wanted to do it. But he was hesitating as a negotiation tactic because he didn't want to seem too desperate. And then he passed away before he could formally accept the role. Oh. I know. I do... Now, this might be my daddy issues, but I will always have a soft spot for Grandpa Joe. The guy that plays Grandpa Joe is just... In the original. In the original. It was... Jack Albertson. He was the only Oscar winner on that set. He won supporting Oscar for The Subject Was Roses, and he also had, like, a career in vaudeville. He, I don't know what it is, it's, again, it's probably just my daddy issues, but he just, he has the vibe of the kindly father figure. Yeah, he's, he's the father figure in the first one, for sure. Yeah. It's not Gene Wilder, it's Grandpa Joe. Yeah. And the way that he respects Charlie, more than, like, most adults around him do. Gene Wilder is, in, in the 71, is like the cool older brother that shows up and is like, here, you can drive my car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there was one other actor. Um, oh, shit. No, I have a whole list of actors for Grandpa Joe. What am I talking about? Oh, boy. Uh, another one, friend of the pod, Peter Ustinov, who played Poirot in the 70s Death on the Nile. Okay. Other names for Grandpa Joe. Richard Attenborough. Michael Caine. Kirk Douglas. 
Albert Finney. Sir Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Paul Newman. No! Peter O'Toole. Peter O'Toole, maybe. I, w- I would love Peter O'Toole there, actually. Uh, Max von Sydow? <laughs> Too terrifying. Grandpa George, maybe. <laughs> um, and Eli Wallach. And uh, Dahl's either widow or daughter, Lissy Dahl, wanted Christopher Lloyd to play Grandpa Joe. Oh, he has... Grandpa Joe from the 71 has Christopher Lloyd energy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then other TV dads, Dan Castellaneta, Homer Simpson. That one, actually, I could see working. Because that one's more subtle. You don't know his face. Yeah. Uh, Jim Belushi. Nah. Ed O'Neill. Like I said, they did a lot. <laughs> um, they did a lot practically. The Chocolate Room, even in the 05, is a legit set. So legit that they accidentally dropped and destroyed a th- hundreds of thousands of dollar camera in the Chocolate River. No! Oopsie poopsie. <laughs> Oops. So, a big change from the novel in the 1971 is how Veruca Salt goes. Yes. And they change it from squirrels that are opening nuts to a goose laying golden eggs. And it's a good visual pun. It's fine. And then the, the bad egg reference, it works. They did it because they had no way of doing squirrels in the 70s. Thank God, in 2005, you can easily do squirrels with computer. Oh no, they trained 40 squirrels from birth for 19 weeks to open nuts. They literally trained the fucking squirrels. You know, I feel like I remember seeing a, a tidbit of behind-the-scenes trivia, like, completely unconnected to the podcast, that was just, like, the Veruca Salt actress being like, yeah, I got attacked by real squirrels! Yeah, they, some of them were CG in, like, the attacks and, like, the swarm and stuff, because you had to. Yeah. Squirrels aren't going to lift a human child, or the adult playing the human child as a stunt (laughs) person. They were taught how to sit on a bar stool, tap and open a walnut, and then deposit the meat onto a conveyor belt. So all those close-up shots are actual fucking squirrels. But the important question is, did they get the meat of the nut out in one piece? They did every time. I have no idea. <laughs> that's why we, that's why Wonka uses squirrels in the in the thing, because even Oompa Loompas can't get it out in one piece. Yeah, but Tim Burton's using them for a different purpose. It matters a little bit less for Tim. <laughs> Another fun thing, uh, the actual Wonka candy company, founded by Quaker Oats, was eventually sold to Nestle. Willy That's Wonka why they chocolate shit. <laughs> Willy Wonka, the amazing chocolatier, has a chocolate factory. Only twice has the Wonka Candy Company released chocolate in 1971 and in 2005. Yeah, it feels like the all the Wonka candies are gum gummy it's, chewy. It's gummy or sweet like like hard candy or hard candy adjacent. It's not chocolate. It's nerds, it's gobstoppers, it's... Are shock tarts Wonka? Shock tarts, or sweet tarts, I think it's Wonka. I think shock tarts might be a different company. Okay. Um, nerds. I think his, uh, Johnny Depp's cane is filled with nerds in the 05. <laughs> of course it is. I don't think I have much else on, like, movie trivia. I did have a second question, though. Yes. And I need you to start talking, because my voice is starting to go. <laughs> Do you think 
We need to know more about Wonka's backstory. Absolutely fucking not. He is, especially if you're going with the fairy tale analogy, you don't need to know how the king got on the throne. You don't need to know where the fey ruler came from. You don't need to know why the world is set up the way it is. You don't need anything more about Willy Wonka. And I don't think I need to say that that in the book, there is no hint of a backstory for him. Yeah, the reason I asked that is because Dahl hated the 71 because it concentrated too much on Willy Wonka. And then the Dahl estate approved Tim Burton adds, I think his father's mentioned in the, in the book. No. There is nothing, nothing about his father. The closest <laughs> we get to Willy Wonka backstory is he explains that the reason he did the golden tickets was because he is not as young as he looks. That's it. So in the 2005, they added his father, played by Christopher Lee, who is a dentist. And when he was a child, Willy Wonka had the big fucking whole head brace headgear for his teeth. And he would go trick-or-treating with his friends on Halloween. And he would come back and his father would throw his candy in the fire and say, you'll get a cavity. And one day he, I think he saves one piece of chocolate from the fire falls in love and decides to run away and become a chocolatier. And he's walking by all the flags of the world and the flag of the world exhibit at the museum, which is fucking hilarious. That's such a good visual joke. That is genuinely a very funny joke. Funny fucking joke. And then he goes home because his father says, if you leave, I won't be here when you come back. And he goes home and the house is just not there anymore. It's gone like the fucking old man from Up just lifted it with his balloons. 12 Grimmauld Place ass house. It's just fucking gone. Another great visual joke. And then, of course, after Charlie wins the factory, there's an epilogue wherein he helps Willie find his father and reconcile. And I found out that scene's actually based on a real event in Burton's life. He and his mother were estranged. And when he went to go visit her before she passed away in Tahoe, he got to her house and framed posters of all of his movies were hanging on the wall. As well as newspaper clippings and things like that. Learning that Tim Burton has mommy issues makes his entire canon make sense. Yep. Um, I, I watched that unlock in your brain just now. <laughs> Everything makes sense now! Yeah, there is no backstory of Willy Wonka in the book. Um, the only thing is that in the book he is... He is literally shoving the bed of the other three old people in the elevator when they land in Charlie's house. He is, like, all excited for the whole family to come with them. Really? Yes. Because in the, in the Burton, at first he doesn't want them to come with. Yeah, in the... And then Charlie refuses. He, he refuses the factory because he'd rather be with his family. Yes. Uh, my dear sir, said Mr. Wonka, jumping forward and shaking Mr. Bucket warmly by the hand. I'm so very glad to meet you. I shake you warmly by the hand. <laughs> I'm so very glad to meet you. You mustn't worry about your house. From now on, you're never going to need it again anyway. I think I agree with you that it doesn't need the backstory. I don't hate the backstory bits, though. I there, it's It just stretches it from a 90-minute movie to a two-hour movie. It doesn't overstay its welcome that much. Like, if you're expecting the movie to end in the glass elevator like the original one, you're like, oh, you get a little Return of the King at the end. <laughs> but <clears throat> it's it's only a couple more minutes, and 
we get some more character growth out of Wonka from that. But yeah, I don't I don't think you need growth. I don't hate it. Um, but I don't think it's necessary either. But like, let's be real, movies aren't necessary in general, so <laughs> So here's my idea. Take the 2005 production script, most actors, sets director, music. Cut Wonka's dad. And bring back Gene Wilder to play Wonka in that version. I think that's the best case scenario. I feel like Wilder is a little too mean. Can you be too mean in that role in a Burton movie? (laughs) It's... It almost feels like there's a little bit of malice. Oh, there's definitely some malice in Gene Wilder. Yeah, and I don't think there's malice in Willy Wonka. I think he genuinely... He is he is a puck figure in this book, because he is sent to... It's actually described as when Charlie wins, he, like, pretends to be surprised that it was gonna be Charlie, and it makes it, like, pretty clear from the get-go that... Willy Wonka knows that these children are not going to make it through his factory, not all of them, and he also knows what's going to happen, because they all have very specific vices, um, and I think that in in keeping with our this is a fairy tale, this is a morality tale, he is the person that is sent to punish these children and reward Charlie. Yeah. And I think that in the Wilder, he's... He's very funny. It is genuinely oh, his. Su- it's such a good performance. Help! Police! Murder! No, stop! Don't go. Just, <laughs> just deadpan delivery. The bit with the "I want it now" scene when he's just like slowly going through the key ring and trying the locks on the two and a half foot gate that the child has just climbed through and the adults can just step over is just delicious. So, fun fact in the book. It's a room that they're not supposed to go in. So they are just looking through a window. I think it's closer to that in, in 05. Yeah. Did you know that the 71 flopped? It doesn't surprise me. It's very... It's cheap. It, it looks cheap. Even like... I mean, now it looks cheap, especially the Chocolate River. But even then, I feel like it looked cheap. Like, you could tell things were sets. It's a weird movie. Yeah, it flopped and then got big groundswell... On TV airings in the 80s. And at that point, Paramount like gave up the rights and Warner bought them. And has made a killing off it ever since. So would you recommend? The book? The book. If you have or care for children, I think it would be an enjoyable thing to read with them. Because it's Roald Dahl, so the chapters are like two and a half pages long. Mm-hmm. I think it would be something that... Eight- you would enjoy it if you're reading it for children who are going to be excited about it. It's not bad, but it's not my favorite of Raw Doll. Yeah. Oh, can I go on a rant for a moment? What kind of person would I be if I stopped you? <laughs> can we talk about Willy Wonka? Being a fucking capitalist pig. 
Did I not do that already? So you remember way back Easter egg, early in the podcast, I mentioned Prince Pondicherry. Oh my god, yes. Okay. So the story with Prince Pondicherry is that Willy Wonka builds him a palace made of chocolate, and he li- he's an Indian prince, so of course there's a hot day and the uh, palace melts, and he's, he wakes up in a chocolate pond. Two pages earlier, in the same conversation, Grandpa Joe is telling Charlie about an how Wonka has invented an ice cream that won't melt. So you're telling me Willy Wonka has invented an ice cream that won't melt. Specifically, you can leave it out all day in the sun on a hot day and it won't melt. And he can't build the palace out of that? If I may defend the capitalist for a second. (laughs) Pondicherry doesn't ask for a palace made of non-melting ice cream. He asks for a palace made of chocolate. And in the movie, this scene is in the Burton movie, Wonka says, you better start eating it before it melts. And Pondicherry says, oh, I intend to live in it. And then it melts on him. So another thing that bothers me is that in the movie, Prince Pondicherry says, I intend to live in it. And then he like licks his throne. Mm-hmm. In the book, he specifically says, I am not going to even lick the stairwells. You're undermining your own point, Burton. Yeah. Um, another thing is that Willy Wonka comes up with this plan to put out these five golden tickets. Grandpa Joe points out he's a genius. Everyone's going to be buying millions of Wonka bars more than ever before. So was Willy Wonka really looking for an heir or was he just looking for a way to do a quick cash grab? Why not both? (laughs) Also, this is good. Also, we've got the gum and we've got the chocolate bar teleporter, right? Yeah. That makes it going. You could solve world hunger, you selfish fuck. There is literally a starving child who gets your ticket. He, he doesn't intend to sell chocolate that way. He intends to do free samples that way. That's still free food that you're giving away. Yeah, he intends to give away free food just, you know, as a commercial. He also same, same as the Hershey company does at the end of the chocolate tour. They will get the first one's always free. Cuz they know you're going you're going to go down to that shop and get one of those fucking dope ass milkshakes they got there and a 5 pound Reese's. Like And then you've also got again, you have a child who's literally starving to death. He's got cabbage water, he's fine. And Like, he is so sad-looking that Wonka... Also, immediately after Augustus Gloop falls in the river, Wonka dips a mug in that same river and gives a mug of it to Charlie, and he's like, you look like you're starving. So you recognize this. But what are you doing, sir? Hoarding all of your wealth and your chocolate? You know that people are just throwing your candy away to get your fucking tickets? He's hoarding it to give to the starving child that lives in the shadow of his factory. There are theories that 
Wonka chose Charlie before the tickets even became a thing and did everything. Like there's theories that he planted the money that Charlie finds to buy the last bar and that Bill specifically gives him that bar because he knows the last tickets in there. There, that's a, that's a common fan theory, and there's like some evidence to it too in the the seventy one with the Slugworth character who spoilers isn't actually Slugworth. He's Wonka's assistant. That's why he always happens to be there when someone finds one, almost as if he's the one putting the tickets there and choosing the children. And also the gum. You have the technology. The only thing that doesn't work is the dessert. Mm -hmm. Sell it as individual fucking sticks of gum so that people don't starve to death, you capitalist pig. I don't think the gum is filling in that way. It is described as literally, it's supposed to be satisfying. Oh, like literally like filling your stomach with mashed potatoes and gravy. He thinks, yes, he thinks that it is going to be the end of grocery stores and agriculture and um, farming in general. Well, still, he still has got to get, get, he still has to get the kinks out. He doesn't want people turning into blueberries. Sell it without the dessert. But he can't. It's a three course dinner. Sell it attached to a bar of chocolate. Now we're talking. (laughs) So, <laughs> my ranting ended. It has. Do you recommend either or both of the movies? So, we'll start with 71. I think it is a fantastic movie. I think the songs are great, except for the song that Charlie's mom sings that I had no idea existed until I watched this <laughs> like this time around. And I found out that that's because most TV airings up until like the mid-2000s cut that song. Because even the director said not really necessary nowadays they cut the boat but the boat is you know the classic part the part that you cannot forget about this movie (laughs) they cut it cowards children like being scared let them be scared yeah and and that's not the scene that scared me the fizzy lifting drink scared me as a kid that's fucking terrifying it also scared me as a kid the fizzy lifting drinks yeah but uh of course i recommend the movie fucking hilarious there's so many jokes especially in that first act because when i was a kid i didn't care about the first act i i was very millhouse when are we getting to the chocolate factory yep you know but now as an adult i'm like i don't remember any of these little like vignettes and they're fucking hysterical they're so funny so funny like the computer he's like oh i've got a computer it's gonna tell me where all right computer tell me where the wonka bar with the ticket is That would be cheating. <laughs> I am now telling the computer. <laughs> That's actually a joke from the the book. Is it? He creates a machine that will tell you where the Wonka bar, or where a golden ticket is, and it's by a mechanical arm shoots out and grabs anything gold. Uh, but when he's demonstrating the machine, it tries to yank the gold filling out of an attending duchess's tooth. And oh, the, that's even better. The crowd destroys it. <laughs> Like, if the queen buys a fucking case of Wonka bars at one point. From an auction <laughs> Your <house>. majesty. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's just so many little, like, gags and bits and stuff that are that are really just fun. And then, of course, Wilder's performance. And and um, Charlie's performance as well. He's he's such a joy, and it's it's wonderful that this is the only performance of his that we can see. Because it's pure. He is Charlie Bucket. He is no one else. It's not tainted. The the chocolate of his performance is not tainted by the Augustus Gloop of other performances, right? (laughs) 
it's it's there and it's it's great. It's all of the kids basically like. Although you and I were both complaining that, and this is this has oh, less to do with him and more to do with the movie. Um, but there's no reason why he should be excited. I mean, beyond the general like going to a chocolate factory, but he's not. Yeah, we don't really see him. Like, he runs into the tinkerer at the gates at the beginning. Yeah. But it, it seemed to me more like he wants to do it because it's something to do, unless it's his lifelong dream. Yeah, like that, and that's something that Burton does a lot better. Is Mr. Bucket will bring back deformed caps from the toothpaste factory? Yes. And Charlie has been building a model Wonka factory out of those caps. Yes. Like it's very it's it's one short scene that is very clear. He's got a healthy relationship with his family, and he's in love with the idea of what's inside this factory. The the book you've got fifty pages of. Building up Wonka and the factory and how much Charlie loves chocolate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's also like the tiny little fact that he's starving to death, which yeah. I cannot overemphasize. And I believe you told me the other day that the prize is a like a lifetime supply of food, right? It is not specified. It is Wonka describes them as eatables. He doesn't just say chocolate or candy. Because he just says chocolate in the 71. No, he specifically says, if you ever run out, you can send uh, a call back to me for whatever you want. Yeah. So it is a lifetime supply of food. So even beyond like the dreamer aspect of Charlie, there's still that tangible that's a little more concrete in the novel. Yeah, because he also wants to help his family. Yeah, and that's a core element of that character. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, Gene Wilder's brilliant. Yes. I, I do love that movie a lot. It's I love how it's a small world, it feels, at times. Yes. It's very, like, early Disney attraction. Yeah. I fucking love that so much about it. Why have we not gotten at, like, Universal? Because <laughs> that's where it would be. We have the Hershey chocolate ride. No, I want a scary ride. I want a dark Where's ride. the oven section where it gets real hot? <laughs> I want the dark ride. We are getting real niche to like central Pennsylvania shit. This is just for you and just for you and Tony, Mark. <laughs> they would have to put it's a Warner thing. They'd put it in fucking I don't know where they would put it then. It's not Sperry Farm Warner. <laughs> no. I don't know. I don't know, which park has the Looney Tunes? Six Flags? Be a six, six Flags. Oh, Six Flags doesn't do fucking themed attractions well at all. No. They're terrible at that. We've seen them botch DC. Well, I've, oh. I've had DC rides botch me, too. <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Multi-million dollar production companies have botched DC, so. Mm. So anyway, we've yes. been digressing. The 2005. <laughs> this is a spicy take. I fucking love the 2005 movie. A lot of it is nostalgic. It's like I explained earlier, it's a DVD I got for Christmas one year at a time in my life when I was absorbing everything I could from those DVDs. So there's a bunch of weird movies from that time that I just adore because I watch them a lot. But even watching it now as an adult, I like Depp's performance. I think it's a good performance. It's not like him. There's a lot of colors in the movie. It's not like Burton, but his energy is still there. 
the best of Burton's energy is still running through this movie. Yes, I had a big crush on Helena Bottom Carter when I was 15. And I also had a big crush on Missy Pyle when I was 15. And it was convenient that when Carter left the screen, Pyle appeared. And then when she left the screen, Carter came back. That helped 15-year-old me. I mean... But they're also both putting in great performances. A little out of character for Carter. She's playing a mom. And she's playing it well. And it's weird, but it's great. And I I do... And do you know which songs... Sorry, I didn't understand. Shut the fuck up, Siri. Do you know what song has been stuck in my head all week? It's not the fucking 70s one. It's... Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka, Wonka, the the amazing amazing chocolate. That and Augustus Gloop, Augustus Gloop, great big greedy nigga poop. (laughs) That's been in my head for a decade. Because Danny Elfman knows how to fucking score shit. Oh, I didn't tell you this. The vocals. It's the first time Danny Elfman did his own vocals in a movie score since Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. Yeah, that's all him, and he just pitch modulated himself to give himself harmonies. Huh. All Elfman. All right, Danny. Yeah. Um, it's it's great. I love the movie. I do I do love that Danny Elfman occasionally just like, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and it's kind of a shame that how much, like, I, f- I fell back, I'm not gonna lie, I fell back in love with this movie, watching it again. I, I just think it's great. I do. It's such a shame that the prequel's coming out, that we will be doing a bonus pod for this weekend. Oh. And it's a prequel to the 71, and you could tell because of the Oompa Loompa design. I think Hugh Grant plays the Oompa Loompa, and he's got the orange face and green hair. What? You didn't know that? No! I've been avoiding! I have, I have so... I have negative fucks to give about this movie. I don't like any part of it. I don't I, like Timothy Chalamet. Come at me. I don't like the I, fact that they're doing a prequel. I hate it. I felt the same way as you. And then I saw the trailer when I saw Songbirds and Snakes. And it's like the people who made Paddington made this. God. Like, oh no, there's some talent here. And this kind of looks like fun. I might fucking like this movie. <laughs> Wouldn't be the worst movie you've ever liked. No. Nah. Well, in a couple of days after hearing this, you'll be able to find out our thoughts on Wonka. Because that is the next episode of the pod. Just a little bonus pod. Just a little response to it. But yeah, that'll be coming out this weekend. Uh, so it'll actually be out before this. What? The no. Pod, the bonus pod. This, uh, Cody, yeah. today, as people are listening to this... <laughs> yes? It's not today, as we are saying this. Oh shit, it's the first week of December, not the not the second. Okay. This comes out on Thursday. Yes. The same day, I think, or the day before Wonka comes out. Yes. Which is why we're releasing it that day. Synergy. <laughs> Am I going out with fucking corporate speak? It suits it suits the capitalist hellscape that we're talking about. Check the description for our link tree. <laughs> Send us an email. How did we talk for two hours? Oh, fuck it. Again? (laughs) 